calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 123. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Yeah, we're running a little late this week, I know, but I'm sure you'll agree that Nigerian scam spam email stories are worth waiting for. That's right. This is the week that we reveal the winner of the 2009 Drabblecast Nigerian Scam Spam Story Competition. Indeed. Our independent panel of 100% authentic, organic, and pesticide-free Nigerians have studied, reflected on, and deliberated over all the submissions and come to an agreement on a winner. It wasn't easy. Our judges were very impressed. Some said they were even inspired by our nation's unique Americana approach to duping suckers through email, capturing the essence of our values and experiences and collective identity with a certain type of distinct nostalgia while still connecting with the reader in an emotionally authentic and financially transparent way. One judge, Farouk Sarumi, allowed himself to be quoted, saying, Yes, I, I see in these works that evocative, highly abstract, yet oft-mentioned idea of the American experience. There's something special going on here, something different, something that offers the reader a styrofoam plate of hot dogs and hamburgers on a warm southern night before asking for their bank account information. Without quite coming out and saying it, you get this impression of soapbox derbies and lemonade stands and jazz and Jimmy Stewart. The scam-spam of the Americas doesn't scam you as much as it invites you along with it to the spring formal or the drive-in theater or the county fair to view with adoration its award-winning monster hog. It's true. Okay, enough timeless nostalgia and tactful suspense building. The winner of the 2009 Drabblecast Nigerian Scam Spam Email Writing Contest is... 
Mr. Bo Kyer. Dear earthly residenter, my wish to your home is not haunting. I know rattling chains and howls is causing marital stress and wetting of beds. My name is Ubuntu Nissan Honda and inhabit your condo. I have taken control of PC to send heartful truths. My luck was to fall from balloon into your community while circling globe for purpose to share glory ambassador to Nigeria. A tragedy, yes, for family, and not I continue to make tragedy no longer for you and children. Wish is for freedom from soul trap that is your excellent furnishings. My sister, App Store Nissan Honda, is powerful Nigerian wish doctor. She is person for best releasing of my trapped spirit. Please touch her be in at 345 Swazu Pines Boulevard, Bauchi, Nigeria, Africa. She charges sacred sum of 200 American green dollars. Make out check to my name, Ubuntu Nissan Honda. She will shed tears and know it as signal her lost brother. Your family's end to suffering will be her joy. 200 is a promissory chicken blood and earwax candle deposit and will be returned as I do to safari that lies beyond our knowing. In faith of your presidential, Ubuntu Nissan Honda, Phantom and Friend. Okay, okay. Before we get hit with conflict of interest lawsuits by crowning our frequent contributor of graphic arts and Megabeast deathmatch management, let me just explain our judging process. The following groups of people selected three of their favorite stories from all of our entries. Two Drabblecast editors. Three randomly selected Drabblecast subscribers from the forum. Three random people who had never heard of the Drabblecast before. The favorites of those eight judges overlapped in several cases, and they overlapped the most in Bo's case. So nobody's getting scammed here, <laughs> at least not yet. And that brings us to the concluding phase of our contest, aside from writing Bo a check for 100 bucks. Bo's Nigerian scam email will be emailed to all the other contestants, who, as good sports, will hopefully email to everyone in their address books as well, in good fun. The Drabblecast staff will do the same, and we'll post a link to the story in our show notes. That link will lead you to the discussion forums to the winner thread of the topic heading Second Annual Nigerian Scam Spam Contest. We invite you listeners to go there and cut and paste it and spam it out to your friends, just for the sake of laughs and widespread perplexity. You can send it to your coworkers. They already think you're a weirdo. You can send it to your senile old grandmother. Maybe she'll actually fall for it and you can clean her out. You can send it to that ex that you haven't talked to in eight years. Maybe she'll write you back saying, Thanks for reminding me why we broke up, creep. Good times. Congrats, Bo. You're a true master of the art. There's some other great submissions in our forums. You should go there and check them out if you find yourself inert, phlegmatic, and listlessly lurking about one day. One Nigerian scam spam that came really close to winning involved a rejuvenated young, low-ranking Nigerian scamateur requesting to go to scam school in the U.S. under the apprenticeship of AIG or Citigroup. <laughs> little topical humor there for you. Ah, it's funny because it's true, huh? So let's get down to it, shall we? Our feature story this week is called Toast by Jamie Lackey. 
Jamie has stories forthcoming in Bards and Sages Quarterly and Silverblade, and her works appeared in The Trail of Indiscretion and here on the Drabblecast with Snuffles back in episode 81, a cautionary tale involving a giant radioactive badger. She's an assistant editor of the Triangulation Annual Anthology series, and she reads Slush for Clark's World magazine. This week as a guest reader, we welcome writer, ICU nurse, and amateur naturalist Abby Hilton. Abby writes fantasy for children and young adults, and we featured a few of her drabbles on the show here in episodes 69 and 82. Her Prophet of Panamandora trilogy is available for free in downloadable podcast form at panamandora.com. That link you will find in our show notes. I'm actually lending my voice as one of the characters in her latest book, The Cowrie Catchers, which I'll be sure to tell you listeners about when it becomes available. So, without further ado, Toast by Jamie Lackey. Elaine wouldn't eat toast anymore. A week ago, she would never have dreamed of giving up toast. It was her favorite breakfast food, and breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Last Saturday, Elaine woke up before her alarm went off and wandered into the kitchen to start her coffee. That done, she grabbed the loaf of Wonder Whole Wheat off her microwave and popped two slices of bread into her trusty toaster. She went to brush her teeth while she waited for her toast to pop. The coffee pot began to burble, and the toast popped just as Elaine spat her spent toothpaste into the sink. She danced to the kitchen, humming to herself. It was going to be a great day. She pulled the toast out by the toaster tongs her little brother had made for her by gluing two tongue depressors to a clothespin. Oh, damn it. The bottom left corners of her toast were pale green with mold. With a sigh, she tossed them towards the trash can, missing by inches. She glanced at the toast for a moment, willing it to get up and deposit itself in the trash where it belonged. Then she took two more slices of bread and carefully inspected them for mold before she inserted them into the toaster. She was thinking about bending over to pick up the toast on the floor when her phone rang. She dashed into the other room. The caller ID told her that it was Rick. Her gut told her that he was calling to cancel their trip to the lake. They were supposed to go biking and camping and skinny dip under the stars. Hey, sweetie, she chirped as she picked up the phone, hoping against hope that he was going to surprise her. Maybe he was calling to tell her how beautiful she was, or how much he loved her, or about the random pony that had just run out into the road, missing him by inches. I'm actually not going to be able to go to the lake today. Why not? Elaine asked, half of her feeling disappointed. The other half felt smug and precognizant. Something came up at work, and I, I, I just can't get away. Rick didn't even sound sorry. What came up? Uh, just work stuff. It's complicated. Why was she even dating this condescending asshole? You know, if you didn't want to go out, you could have just said so. Elaine, stop being unreasonable. Rick, stop treating me like a clingy, slow-witted four-year-old. I'm not. You are too, and you knew how much I was looking forward to this weekend. And you didn't even apologize for blowing it off. 
Oh, is that what you want? An apology? Fine, I'm sorry. Elaine bit back an angry retort and tried to remember the last time she'd had fun with Rick. She couldn't. Any time they did manage to find to be together, all they did was fight or sit around trying to convince the other to pick out an activity. No, Rick, that's not good enough. I'm tired of you standing me up and talking down to me. Elaine took a deep breath. I don't think I want to see you again. Elaine, wait. You don't mean that. Goodbye, Rick. Elaine gently placed the phone back in its cradle. She waited for the tears to start, but to her surprise, they didn't. She felt fine. Hungry, but fine. And her toast would be cold by now. Stupid Rick, ruining everything. Screw him. She'd go camping by herself and have a great time in spite of him. Or maybe one of her friends had the weekend off. She hadn't spent nearly enough time with her friends lately. She walked back into the kitchen and saw her toast climbing out of the toaster. The moldy toast from the floor was helping it to get over the plastic edge. They had tiny little arms that splintered into two-fingered hands and stubby little legs. The two pieces of moldy toast had taken the aluminum foil and made themselves silver eyes and little antennae that stuck up from either side of the crease on top of the loaf. Elaine fainted. She woke up, surrounded by a small army of living toast. It looked like they'd toasted every piece of bread in the house. There were a couple of bagels, too, and an English muffin that she'd forgotten she had. They all had aluminum foil eyes and antennae and inch-long limbs. They were hopping up and down and making noises that sounded like the toaster popping. A few of them moved forward, holding up an aluminum foil headband with antennae attached. They held it out to her, hopped toward her, popping. You want me to put that on my head? The popping got faster, and they hopped higher. Elaine's curiosity overcame her fear of the strange little creatures. What the hell? She took the headpiece and slipped it on. Suddenly, she felt a wave of happiness that she knew hadn't come from inside her brain. You're communicating empathetically, she said. The happiness intensified. She felt almost giddy. How is this happening? Elaine knew that she should be more freaked out, but she just couldn't be, with so much innocent joy pouring into her head. The various toasted bread products had no idea. Maybe it was some weird combination of the mold and the microwave and the heat, Elaine guessed. The toasts popped noncommittally. Well, what am I going to do with you? Again, the toasts had no suggestions. Swell, it's not like you were a present from some wise old man or anything. I didn't even get any warnings about what not to feed you. Will living toasts need to eat? Elaine ended up spending the rest of the day teaching the toasts how to coordinate themselves to play Dance Dance Revolution using both dance pads. 
It took four or five of them, hopping in unison, to get the pad to pick up their movement. Watching them hopping up and down and shaking their tiny two-fingered fists in frustration when they missed a note was the most hilarious thing Elaine had seen in a while. She couldn't remember the last time she'd laughed so much. Sometime after dinner, during which Elaine ate a chicken Caesar salad without any croutons and discovered that the toasts didn't seem interested in food, though they did like it when she read her romance novel aloud to them, the doorbell rang. The door opened before Elaine could get it. Elaine? She winced at Rick's voice as he slipped through the door. I told you I didn't want to see you again. Rick held out a bouquet of pink roses. I I brought you these. What the hell is that on your head? It's nothing. Elaine didn't think that Rick would react well to seeing her toasty friends. She didn't think they'd like him either. Her agitation was upsetting them through their empathetic link. She could hear them popping distressedly over the jazz she'd put on. Rick pushed past her and strode into the other room. Is there somebody here with you? No. Elaine tried to block his view, but it was too late. What? The hell. Rick stumbled back in shock, bumping into Elaine and sending her crashing onto the floor. Her head bounced off the refrigerator handle on her way down. Pain and stars exploded in her skull. Elaine felt a wave of rage through her empathetic link with the toasts. They swarmed towards Rick as a mob, ignoring the fact that he was twice as big as all of them put together. He stomped the English muffin and it made a terrible crunch. The toasts continued to throw themselves fearlessly at Rick. Elaine's view of the carnage was fuzzy, but the crystal clear sound seemed to reverberate inside her skull as she listened to Rick methodically stomping on all of her little friends. She felt a wrenching, empathetic vacuum after each one. Stop it, Rick! She shouted as she struggled to her feet. Her body wouldn't quite cooperate. When she finally did manage to get up, she had to hold onto the fridge with a death grip to keep from falling over. The floor seemed to be spinning. She was crying. She hadn't noticed when she started. She heard one last crunch over her sobs. She stumbled to the doorway and nearly retched at the sight of the massacre. Rick was surrounded by a field of crumbs that had been ground into Elaine's carpet. Tiny aluminum foil eyes and bent or broken antennae glittered from the dust. I hate you. Elaine fell to her knees, sinking her fingers into the crumbs that had moments ago been living toasts that had risen up to protect her. Get out of my house. Elaine, you're bleeding. Rick knelt and touched the side of her head. Elaine jerked away from his touch, ignoring the dizziness that her sudden movement caused. I said, get out. Tears and blood dripped onto the carpet, mixing with the corpses. Rick left. A little while later, an ambulance came and took Elaine to the emergency room for her concussion. She came back from the hospital the next day and found a fresh loaf of bread sitting on her doorstep. The note on it read, I'm sorry. She walked over to the toaster, 
plopped two pieces into it, pushed down the button, crossed her fingers, and waited. It's true. Toast has always got your back. Let's do some story feedback. How about episode 118, The Relativity Prison, by Igor Tepper? This is the story where the protagonist began to realize that humanity was afflicted with reverse relativity. Two tentacles up. The mighty Twix said, I really like this story. It reminds me of my data entry days at an accounting firm. Yeah. And you liked this story? Dead Guy said, Made my freaking head explode. There's so many interpretations to this story. The author hints at this with the narrator's incessant speculation about his condition. My first thought was aliens. This is Drabblecast, after all. Then I accepted the story's premise, and I began to wonder if this was happening to me, too. But the more I listened to it, the more I realized that he's frustrated with his mundane life, and this is just his coping mechanism. And then I began to wonder if that was happening to me. Jonathan C.G. said, This one was a real mind-bender, and I enjoyed it. I think the tale is definitely creepy. The loss of control is actually more terrifying to the human psyche than death itself. In this tale, we're allowed our lives, but no control over them, a fate most of us would call worse than death. If you break it down, all the great terror movies are really snapshot instances where the effect becomes the causality against humans, as opposed to the other way around. Our neat layers of control are stripped away, and what is left is horror. Consider Jaws. Humans eat everything is juxtaposed to humans are eaten by something. Freddy. Our dreams are no longer our own. Memento. One's own memory library is scrambled so that its absence controls the protagonist, not vice versa. And Transformers. A piece of garbage movie controls the ticket sales as opposed to the moviegoers. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. The week after that, we ran a little something different called The Seven Deadly Drabbles by Jake Bible. Yes, one didn't go over so well. Stalin says said, I was thumbs in the middle on the stories as a whole. I feel like once you climb out on that branch and personify a penis, you have to push that concept and really make the bodiness play. Not sure the drabble accomplished that. Angsty zombie teens, though. Good stuff. Dugale Strange said, I liked it. That said, I did think there was room for improvement. Going through all the seven deadly sins was great, but I can't believe I'm going to say this about the drabble cast. The talking penis was unnecessary, and it took me out of the story. So, on the whole, not the best Drabblecast I've ever heard, but far from the worst thing I've ever loaded in my iPod. I give it an A for effort, and hope Jake Bible submits more stories in the future. Norm's Paula Cole cover makes me shudder. Camo Blamo said, I will say that the author took a pretty big risk with this story, and the Drabblecast took a pretty big risk playing it. Travelcast is all about pushing a few boundaries, and this is right up there. Did it work? Uh, I don't know. Well, hey, regardless of if you like every one of the stories you run or not, we want to hear about it, and usually authors do too. Join the forums, become part of the community. You won't be sorry you did, and I'm not making any promises on that. Our Nigerian Scam Spam contest may be over, but our weekly 100-character TwitFix story contest is still going, mostly because we don't have to pay you anything for it. <laughs> eh. This week's winner is, geez, again? Phenopath. This is like, what, the third time he's won? 
He's like the freaking iron chef of 100-character stories, reclaiming his weekly throne from last week's winner, Tom Baker. Phenopath's story has, of right now, been twat out. If you aren't following us on Twitter, it sucks to be you. Find us and fix that mess. You just might chuckle at these little nuggets of glorious prose. Send in 100-character stories, or 100-word stories, or feature submissions 2,000 words or less to drabblecast at yahoo.com. Editor Luke is just so bored, he's waiting around to read and consider as many stories from the slush pile as you can send him. The Drabblecast Kick-Ass Donor of the Week is... Daniel Smith. Daniel's a cheesemaker from New Zealand, living in Shanghai, China. He spends all day making cheese and listening to podcasts. What a life. I've got Gouda, I've got podcasts, I've got a single party government that owns and controls all property and means of production. Who can ask for anything more? Our editor Kendall, during his time abroad in China, reported that the Drabblecast was blocked in China. Hmm. I wonder if Kendall's just saying that because he knows I've still got Senator McCarthy's head cryogenically frozen in my garage. No more lies, Kendall. No more lies. Daniel says, I love your show. Quite frankly, my favorite podcast. The stories are great, and your Bartles are badass. You guys outdid yourselves with the whole pimping the Hubble video. That was primo. He's talking, of course, about the frickin' awesome music video that Mr. Tweety put together to the rap song that I wrote and aired in episode 114. You can find a YouTube link to the music video in our show notes, or you can subscribe to our other podcast, Drabblecast B-Sides, which is linked off of our main page, for stories and other random things like that in the Drabblecast periphery. Well, thank you kindly, Daniel. It's nice to know we've got a hookup in Chinese cheese. We appreciate all of our donors, because people like them support 100% of this show's cost. Even if there was a corporate sponsor out there that was not totally embarrassed by us, we still wouldn't bug you with tons of ads, because we don't have to. Because at least for right now, we're able to pay authors decently for their work, and also pay for weekly costs, due to your generous support. Nah, don't get me wrong. If everyone who listened to this show donated $10 right this minute, we'd be able to absolutely blow you away, to a degree that you might not be emotionally prepared for. And maybe that's a good thing, and maybe it's not. I don't know, but there's only one way to find out. Why don't you just hit the donation button on our webpage right now at drabblecast.org. Go ahead. I dare you. Go ahead. There you go. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can't change it, you can't sell it, but you can share it until you're just fed up with sharing with people. That's it for this week. We will see you next week. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that our wish is for freedom from soul trap. That is your excellent furnishings.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.